2022 has been a very long year for me. Some of it's been good. I mean, I ran my first ultra. I tried a new sport. I've coached a bunch of athletes to success. It's been not all bad, but it has been difficult, and there have been definite downsides. So at the end of this year, I wanted to make sure that I took some lessons away so I could have a better 2023. So here are some things I learned from 2022 that I'm going to use to try to do better in 2023. Let's get to it. Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. Thank you all for bearing me with me yesterday. I'm still a little sick, but not as much as I was yesterday, so on the upswing. Um, first one of these in 2023, and looking forward to it, and I figured I'd use it like many people have to just reflect a little bit on the last year and see what lessons I might have learned and what we might be able to take into next year to create some success. And one of the first things, above all else, that... I got out of 2022 was if you commit to something and have some patience and really play the long game, it is unbelievable what you can achieve. For me, that looked like going from very few, like zero to five miles at the end of last year, running at a time, to running a 50 miler in November. And if you had told me two years ago that I would do that, it would be unbelievable to me. And even then, a year just isn't that long of an amount of time. When we talk about playing the long game, I really do mean on the course of decades. And it doesn't necessarily need to be your running career or whatever. It just is life in general. This is one of the biggest dichotomies we experience as humans, is that every day could be your last day. So you have to live it like it matters. And yet, we also know that to build the best success takes years and years and years. And it is tough to thread that, thread that needle. And nobody really knows exactly what the perfect ratio is, right? But like for me, in working with people or talking to people, I do care about your immediate results. I care about your results this year. But I care about even more where you are in a decade. It is, to use an example, like a high school athlete, there is nothing more frustrating, kind of sad to me, than the high school coach that pushes an athlete so hard that they lose the love of it by the end of high school, or pushes them into an eating disorder so they don't like fuel themselves well and break, or don't set up a foundation so that this athlete can continue to improve and improve over years. We need to view a person's athletic career in a lifelong fashion. And we can say this for most things. A lot of it comes down to just the basic stories we tell as people. You know, it's like a great story is often a quick turnaround on a fairly short time span. And we love those. Like the athlete I coached this year who started running less than a year ago, and he hit a 3.30 marathon in the fall. 
That's a good story. But it is not realistic for most people. It just isn't. He had a ton of talent, and it worked well. It turned out well for him. But most of us aren't going to see that. Real trajectory of success takes years, decades. Like, Elliot just hit a new marathon record at the age of 37. He had been running for over 30 years. And, like, he ran two miles to school every day in addition to whatever kids do. He met his first real trainer, an Olympian, at the age of 16. So even if we're just going to take that time scale, it's 21 years. And yet, a lot of us seem to think that we can just start running and get incredible at it overnight. And I don't know exactly why that is. I definitely had some of the same ideas, right? Like, I think we all kind of end up there. But if we compare it to other sports or other activities, like if I handed you a golf club and you've never played golf before, and I told you that I expect you to be on the PGA Tour, like a a pro golfer, next year, you'd think I was nuts. If I handed you a basketball, having never shot one, told you I expect you to get into the NBA in less than a year, you'd think I were insane. And yet we start running and expect to like BQ in 12 months or what have you. It's ridiculous. I think we need to like take some perspective and appreciate that all of these things take some time and have some fun along the way. And that is one of the like biggest training changes I'm going to make this year. Instead of like very strictly dictated intervals, a lot more fartleks and structured in a way that we make sure we're getting the adaptation that we're looking to get, be it lactate or VO2 or whatever. But it doesn't need to be this very strict, on-the-minute training regimen in order to see huge progress. If we look at Elliot, again, let's just use Elliot as an example. He has a weekly fartlek workout, and he crushes the marathon, obviously. So we can use some of these more playful, less rigid, more fun-preserving methods of training in order to get incredible results without tanking either our progress or like giving ourselves burnout along the way. So that's that. Another lesson I had this year was the hardest part of something may surprise you. And I mentioned this in the past, but if you'd asked me what the hardest part about training for an ultra would be, I promised you it wouldn't have been gaining body fat. But lo and behold, like apparently that, like my body image issues are still terrible and frustrating. And honestly, the most frustrating part about it to me is that it still frustrates me. I just wish it didn't matter because I know it doesn't matter. And yet that is the thing that bothered the hell out of me. It had nothing to do with the peak weeks of like 10 plus hours of training. It didn't have to do as much with giving up a ton of lifting or other things I really enjoyed. It wasn't the time commitment. If anything, with all the other shit I was dealing with this past year, the time commitment was almost a blessing because I was able to just put myself fully into something. But when it came to body image stuff, like it just, it never went away. It was frustrating for months, like a full year. And I was surprised by how persistent and pervasive and constant it was. 
And yet that's what it is. And the hardest part of your journey in these things may surprise you. And that is probably true of more things than just running. And on that note, like another lesson I really learned this year was you have, have to prioritize. Like you have, so many people listening to this probably have a thousand things they want to do. And I know for me, that's very true. I have a thousand things I want to do. And if we look at what priority really means, it means the one thing that you really care about. And I don't think we need to take it that far, but you should recognize where all of this stuff is in your list of priorities. And don't spread yourself too thin along the way. And I'm just going to jump into another one because these tie really well together. Like, be honest with yourself was another thing that I learned this year. Like, do you actually want what you say you want? For example, like, I have so many people say to me something like, I want to be the best runner I can be. And what they actually mean is I want to be pretty good, even though running is like 12th on my priority list. And that is fine. That is a fine thing. If you want to be pretty good and running is like the 15th spot on your priority list. But, and in fact, it's actually really pretty fucking healthy if we're being honest. It is okay for this sport not to be the tip-top peak thing for you. Most of you have families and other stuff and jobs and wives and dogs and (laughs) things you need to do that definitely take a priority over running. And yet we act like it is the be-all, end-all thing. It doesn't mean it's not important. For a lot of us, activity, running, training, doing that well actually makes us better at being at our jobs, makes us better at being a part of a family or a spouse or whatever. But it doesn't mean that the running is always going to be the biggest thing on a day-to-day basis. It just means it's important. And if that's the case for you, just own that. Because what it takes from a training perspective to be the best runner you can be is vastly different from I want to be really good even though running is 10th on my priority list. Those are different things. And if you recognize which one of those that is, then you will have a lot less stress because you're not going to try to follow a plan that doesn't fit into your life. You're not going to have expectations for what you're trying to achieve, even though those expectations are unrealistic. And if your expectations and your desires match what you can actually do based on your life and what fits, then you're going to be so much happier, right? And on that, if you aren't trying to be top 1% in the world, we can get a very long way by following something like the Pareto Principle. This is the original 80-20 principle. Um, This is not the same as Matt Fitzgerald's like slow running thing. Um, This is the idea that 80% of your anything, like progress, benefits, whatever, is going to come from 20% of your inputs. And when this comes to running, 
we can view this as we don't need to get super nitpicky about paces or exactly what everything fits. If you ballpark it, <laughs> you're going to do really well for a very long time and create a bunch of success, especially if you're willing to follow principle one and play the long game. Because if you're ten, your 10K pace, we use that as a metric a lot um, because it matches pretty closely to your critical velocity pace. And yet, what does that even mean? Like on one day, you might run a 10K here, and then on another day, you might be kind of sick and off, and like you run a 10K here. And if you're training, <laughs> like if you're training and you feel really good, but you're using your 10K metric from when you felt really bad, how does that even cross over, right? So this is one of the reasons that I appreciate heart rate as a metric and like a check system, but it's not a be-all, end-all. At the end of the day, we have to learn to use effort. You have to understand like how these things feel. We have to be able to dial in and take some responsibility and ownership of our training. Like one of the reasons that Courtney DeWalter is such the athlete that she is, is she changes her training, like assesses her training on a daily basis. She coaches herself. Like she has systems, she has plans, she has this entire trajectory. A lot of it is not, you know, public. But one thing she's been open about is she wakes up, she sits at her kitchen table, she has a cup of coffee, and she assesses what she's going to do for the day. And that might mean the plan's going to change. It might mean that something's feeling off. You need to be able to make these changes. And this is why a coach is nothing more than a guide. Like, we are a guide, we put you through there, but your coach, like, coach has to educate you. Because if you wake up feeling like garbage and you can't immediately contact your coach or this is the only time you have to run, you have to be able to make the decision that going to run those, like, five, three-minute long uphill VO2 max repeats is the bad decision. You have to be able to make the choice that you are going to make a tweak, both for your health and for the benefit of your training. So this is somebody the other day that, like, if you are struggling to breathe, like, say it's asthma or whatever, like for me, I have a cough right now. If I go out and try to push a heavy workout, I'm not going to get anything from that because I'm not going to be able to push hard enough to actually get my body to respond in a way that's going to create the adaptation. And yet I'm going to be able to very easily push hard enough, get myself coughing fit and have to recover for like two days based on how sick I am right now. So I've had created all of the unnecessary recovery time and gotten zero of the adaptation. So we have to be able to make these tweaks. And when it comes to taking this Pareto principle, you have to realize what's important because it doesn't matter if your pace is exactly like down to the second or even down to the minute. It doesn't matter how many minutes of whatever training you do on a weekly basis. It is the aggregate, it is the average of training and general percentages over weeks and months and years. And if you're going to be successful in the long term, we just have to hit the basics consistently over time. On that point as well, like leading into the next thing, whatever we might see as the ideal is not always your ideal. 
if we look at this from a training perspective, with training, we want to periodize training. So you don't, you don't do all the stuff all the time. There's no time to do whatever, and you're going to overwork yourself. You can't try to improve your VO2 max as you try to improve your critical velocity, as you try to improve your lactate threshold, as you try to improve your endurance. Improving any one of these things will improve the rest of them at least a little bit. A rising tide raises all ships. However, if you target them specifically, and this is a said principle, it's a specific um, adaptation of imposed demands principle. And basically what that means is if whatever you teach your body to do, it's going to do. So if you teach your body to get better at VO2 max, like if you try, if you teach your body to process more oxygen or use more oxygen, it will get better at that. And if you target workouts specifically to do that, then it's going to get specifically better at that. So if we look at what we need to do from a training perspective, like you cannot do all of the stuff all the time. So we have to periodize. You have to have a chunk where you're primarily working on VO2 or a chunk where you're primarily working on lactate. And ideally, we're going to funnel these things towards your race. So if you're looking for a 10K, you're going to start with a bunch of endurance and a little bit of power production, some power production, like strides or hill repeats or whatever. And you're going to move towards your critical velocity training at the end, because that's more or less what you're looking for for 10K for most people. And you can funnel that towards whatever system you're looking for. Marathon and longer gets a little weird because like your endurance or steady pace is actually kind of the top end anyway and that's what you're going to run your race at. So it, the funneling gets a little strange at those but beside the point. If we look at all of these training ideas you have to periodize and yet when we look at what might be perfect is some sort of mixed periodization. So you do you focus on a few things at once and never, th never like nothing ever completely disappears. So you're always going to be doing a little stimulus towards VO2 max. You're always going to be doing a small stimulus towards lactate. It's just the prioritization that changes over time. Now, that's all well and good. It's a very advanced <laughs> way to structure your training, though. So if, you're, if you know this stuff fairly well and you've been doing this stuff for a while and you know the difference from what it feels like to run at your VO2 max, like your VO2 threshold versus your endurance pace, then we can absolutely integrate these things. High-level like runners will even do blend workouts where they'll target multiple things in the same workout. But for a lot of people, it would be better to just do like a block periodization where you start, and this is what's in Jason Coop's book because it's very easy to explain. So you always have this base of endurance that you're working on, like slow work. And your speed work is just in blocks. So far away from your ultra, you're going to do a block of VO2. And then you're just not really going to touch that again for this entire training cycle. And the reason is, one, it's easier to write. And two, it comes down to focus. A workout that you're trying to hit VO2 feels different mentally than a lactate workout. And we can see this lifting as well. So if you're trying to lift really slow movements where you feel your muscles or get a lot of blood flow, get the pump, that is a whole different mental game than trying to one rep max your deadlift. One, you're basically trying to kill the weight. That is your one rep max. 
And then the other, you're just trying to feel your muscles. It is a very different mental headspace to be. And it has been shown in strength training that it's very effective to combine different rep ranges in the same workout. But unless you're pretty experienced, it is hard to switch those headspaces back and forth, where for the first half of your workout, you are trying to hit a really heavy triple of a squat, and then later you're trying to feel the pump in your biceps. If you've been doing it for a while, great. It is shown to be slightly more effective. But if you're pretty new to training, it is going to be difficult to create that different mental headspace. So experience dictates this a little bit. And we just have to recognize that prioritize what you need. And even though it's like the ideal, doesn't necessarily mean it's your ideal. That's the final thing that I kind of taking from last year into this year is that the most important thing of any anything, and to me at least at the moment, is adaptation. You have to be able to adapt. And I truly believe that that is the number one thing that coaching does. Because otherwise, all we would do is just sell training plans. That's it. Um, all we would do is just write a plan for you, and you'd follow it, and everything would be perfect, and you'd never have to stray from the plan, and it'd be fine. Because that is all we would need to do. That's our entire existence. But we know that's not true. Because mark the last time you went through a training plan and nothing came up. Be it my year where I moved twice and had a breakup and all these things and like switched jobs twice or Scott Hundermark who came on the podcast and told his story about getting Lyme's disease and all these things or just having kids. Having kids is guaranteed to mess up your plans at least once a week. And if you aren't able to adapt your training plan to your lifestyle, then you're not going to get where you're trying to go. And if you're not able to adapt your life to whatever that is thrown at you tomorrow, you're not going to, you know, get the results you want out of that either. Adaptability is why humans succeeded in the first place. We can eat anything for the most part, right? Like we're an incredibly adaptable species and we need to be able to use that adaptability to hit our, hit our goals. So those are my big things for the year. Sorry, this was a little rambly. I'm still a little sick and tired and didn't really have a lot of notes. So the big things are commit to something, have some patience, play the long game and everything that comes along with that, find your priorities and you will succeed. And if you want help in that along the way, let me know. I'd love to help you in 2023. Final note, congrats to Gwen Case for winning the scholarship. Thank you to everybody who participated. You've probably gotten a message from me right now, by now. I hope you've responded back at the very least. I'd love to chat with you and help you set up a plan for the year, even if we don't end up working together. So hope you have a very good rest of your night. And I will hopefully be back less sick next week. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. 
If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.